0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Y'all are good. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the story. Uh, if we don't know each other yet. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the story. It's really good to see all of you. Thank you for making the story part of your weekend, especially if it's like your first time, or maybe you're just relatively new to this community. Also, that goes for those of you joining us online. Wherever you are in the world, if you're tuning in with us right now, you're part of this community in some way or another. So we're really grateful to have you. I know I've been hearing from people that are, that are watching online uh, because they're out of town or whatever all morning. If you're watching online, uh, just let us know that you're here by checking in in the comments section, whether you're watching on the, the, the story's website, the story.church, or Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're watching, just let us know where you're tuning in from. We'd love to say hello. So, um, hey, I just want to make sure everybody knows uh, and is up to speed about some of the things going on in our community. I said I might have a big announcement this uh, week. Last Sunday I said that. Uh, I don't. I, ca- I do. I do. I do, but I don't. I do, but I can't. All right? Not yet, but soon. All right? So I'll be able to share um, more details about some wonderful, awesome, mighty things happening in the life of our community for the Story Church uh, this Wednesday at our first town hall meeting. We got three of these coming up. The first one is Wednesday night at 6.30 here in the Discipleship Hall. The next one's next Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service, again in the Discipleship Hall. Um, That'll be, you know, 12.15, 12.30 start time. And then the third and final one will be next Wednesday, the 5th of October um, uh, at 6.30 in the Discipleship Hall here at uh, at our temporary location at 4910 Montrose. So if you're watching online, you want to come check out the town hall meetings, be sure to do that. Y'all here gathered here in this room, be sure to check out at least one of those town hall meetings. You will want to be a part of this because it's some amazing things we get to share and you're going to have um, questions and want to know what's uh, coming next, what our next steps are. So. This is uh, not a drill. This is not like, hey, let's just see how many people love the church and you show up and it's just a regular bunch of announcements. This is a big deal. So I hope you all can uh, come and be a part of that uh, town hall, one of those town halls over the next uh, week and a half. All right, a lot of mystery in the room right now. (laughs) It's all good, I promise. Okay, so we're going to get into part three of our four-part series of messages called Deep tracks. We are exploring the lesser known teachings of Jesus. As we've said before, everybody knows the hits of uh, whatever artist or band they're a fan of, but it takes a real devoted follower to know the deep tracks. You have to buy the whole album, take the time to listen to it. In the same way, Jesus has some hits. Everybody knows uh, the Good Samaritan. Everybody knows love your neighbor, love your enemy, all that stuff. But Jesus has some deep tracks that only followers will know and really that only followers will appreciate. There's a reason they're the deep tracks. People don't like talking about them as much. Preachers definitely don't like talking about them as much because it can seem arresting or challenging or or, or even disquieting in a way uh, to to see and understand Jesus' deep tracks for what they are. But here's the deal. You You can like someone halfway. Or you can love a part of a person. But if you're following someone, you either follow all of them or you don't follow them at all. You can't follow part of a person. So we're here, our mission is to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. Not just to like Jesus or not even just to love Jesus some, right? We're here to inspire people to follow him and that means following all of him including the things he says that make us uh, cringe or make us uncomfortable or even make us hurt a little bit, because if we're following him, we follow all of him in submission because of who he is, right? So on the last uh, couple of weeks, we've talked about things like divorce and remarriage and what Jesus said about that. That was tough. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, how Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have no part in me. That was tough, Today, it's not going to get any any easier today with our deep track, Uh, so why don't we just uh, dive right into it. What we're going to see today is how Jesus challenges our most commonly held assumptions about who he is, and he's going to tell us, do not assume that I am a certain way. Do not assume that I am who you've heard I am. Take me at my word, all right? So this is from Matthew chapter 10. You have study guides that you were given when you came in. I think that those study guides will be linked in y'all's comment section of your uh, online uh, platform as well. So you can follow along with those study guides. Let's see what Jesus has to say to us today in this deep track. Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, do not suppose. In other words, do not assume. Same word, really. You remember what they said about when you and I assume, we make All right, just, you can't say it at church, but you know what I'm saying. It's the same kind of vibe here, right? So, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Okay. How we feeling? How many assumptions did Jesus just blow up in six verses? not least of which is just this core assumption that everybody has, that Jesus is just a nice person. Nothing about what he just said sounded very nice to me. Anyone else? Like, take him at his word. Like, that didn't sound nice at all, okay? So he's he's saying, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to divide families against each other, You're not worthy of me, he said three different times. We like to think of Jesus a certain way, right? That's why 91% of Americans, even though fewer than ever percentage-wise of Americans are Christians, 91% still say they approve of Jesus because at least he's a good guy. At least he's got a good personality. (laughs) At least he's nice. We think of him as this mild-mannered mystic who's just kind of a semi-hippie with a tie-dye shirt and a peace pipe, sitting everyone around a campfire, singing Kumbaya, and he says, I came to bring a sword. Do not suppose I am who you think I am. I came to bring a sword. That doesn't sound nice at all. And just so we're clear, this isn't one of those times, and I wish it was, Ooh, I wish it was. This isn't one of those times preachers can explain our way out from under a difficult passage by saying, "Well, in the original Greek, <laughs> what he really meant was like a play knife or a plastic knife or a <laughs> a whatever, pretend knife, symbolic knife." No, he meant a sword. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. The sword was a very common word, and there was only one kind of sword. It probably wasn't one of those full length like soldier swords. It probably was like more of a dagger sword. Still, a sword still the most common, dangerous, if not deadly weapon of his day, and he said, I came to bring that. So what do we do with this Jesus? The only kind of first century or modern-day equivalent of this first century saying would be like, I mean, unthinkable, but like, just as shocking to us now as it must have been to them then would be if Jesus stood in, in this room today and said, I did not come to bring peace but a Glock or something. Something common, something dangerous, even deadly. That's how shocking this statement would have been. And that's what he said, okay? And it's not the only time Jesus seemed okay with weapons for, for certain reasons. Let me give you another example. So uh, earlier in the same chapter in Matthew 10, Jesus sent his disciples out for the first time to go and spread the gospel. Now at this point earlier in his ministry, he was not as notorious as he became later in his life toward the end. So he seemed to know that his disciples wouldn't need much when they went out on their own to share the gospel. So this is what he said when he sent them out the first time in Matthew 10 Uh, verse 9 through 14, he said, don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt, nor sandals or staff. Whatever uh, town you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or leave that town and shake the dust off your feet. So that's the first time he sent them out just as they were. He knew that they would be relatively safe because they were still in somewhat of obscurity, right? However, <laughs> he sent them out a second time. He was about to send them out a second time toward the end of his life on earth, toward the end of his ministry, and he gave them a very different set of instructions. Now look at this. Look how this differs from the first set of instructions. Luke 22, verses 35 to 38, Jesus asked them, when I sent you with a, without a purse, without a bag, without sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered nothing. We were fine. But then he said to them, but now, if you have a purse, take it, also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And the disciples said, look, see, Lord, here we have two swords. And Jesus said, that's enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, I don't know, it cracks me up. It's humorous, okay, for a lot of reasons. I'll talk about it in a minute. But, but here's, here's Jesus giving the same disciples very different instructions. So what's the difference? The difference, the only difference I can see is the the circumstances. The temperature is different. Before they would be safe going out on their own. Now Jesus says, hey, just keep a sword with you just in case. Just in case what? Just in case this evil world turns hostile. Just in case you run into someone who, you know, Satan or the demons or who evil wants to use to snuff out the gospel and stop you in your tracks. Have a sword, Jesus said. For self-defense, and that's important to remember. The only time Jesus tells his disciples to have a sword was for the purpose of, of self-defense, okay? And the disciples, they're, they're like, we got you, Jesus. Here's two which is to me funny because it's like they've been hiding the swords from Jesus the whole time. Like the first time when he said, Don't take anything with you, they still had the swords with them. Like they they sort of believe Jesus, but they're also just like, just to be safe, take a sword. And they're like, just hide it, put it in your underwear. I don't know where they hid it from Jesus. But then Jesus is like, hey guys, you might want to buy a sword, and they're like, Ta-da, we got two. And Jesus is like, that's enough, you know, as if he didn't know already, right? He's Jesus. He already knew, but still, they, they produced the swords. And what's Jesus saying there is like, just, just be judicious with how you arm yourselves. There's a, there's a line, there's a limit somewhere there, where, a reasonable limit where you can be sure you're, you're doing this for your own self-defense and not to intimidate or impose your will on anyone else. Right, So we know this is the reason Jesus wanted them to arm themselves, because the next thing that happens is Judas shows up with the authorities to arrest Jesus, and then this happened, Matthew 26, 50 to 52. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear, and put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now, when I was a secular humanist pretending to be a Christian for 13 years, I was taught in my seminary and other places that this meant Jesus was kind of a a pacifist, and Jesus never wanted his followers to have any kind of weapons or anything like that. That was the narrative. But just before this, Jesus is the one that told him to have the, we- <laughs> the weapons. And John tells us that it wasn't just some random guy that took the sword. It was Peter, of course. Simon Peter that took the sword and cut the guy's ear off. Did, Jesus, did, did Peter mean to cut his ear off or was he trying to cut his head off and missed? I'm guessing it was the latter. Right? I'm guessing he tried to cut the guy's head off and missed. And, you know, who can blame Peter. Jesus just said, get a sword, and then they come to arrest Jesus. Peter then made an assumption. That was a fair assumption. Jesus wants me to be armed so I can protect Jesus from this arrest. But Peter's assumptions were off. That's not why Jesus wanted him to. Jesus doesn't need protecting. Not from Peter. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need our protection So Peter's assumption was off. Maybe his heart was in the right place, but his assumptions were out of line. And that's why Jesus said what he did. And in the same way, we have a lot of assumptions that Jesus' deep tracks will call us out on. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about, how Jesus calls out our assumptions about him the assumptions that we create and uh, reinforce over time, the assumptions that we base on what we've heard about Jesus or what we want to be true about Jesus rather than just what Jesus says about himself, plain and simple, on the words of Scripture. So what are some of those assumptions? Let's dig in. The first one that he challenges with today's Deep Track teaching is the assumptions that we make about his purpose the assumptions that we make about his purpose. Again, verse 34, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. How did we come to this assumption that Jesus came to bring peace? Well, we came by this one honestly. We took it too far, but we, we read in scripture that Jesus is the prince of what? Darkness? No, the prince of swords? No, the prince of what? What? Peace. But we have to be very careful with how, we, how far we take that assumption and, and how much we read into it because we want to make Jesus something that he's not. Like a lot of us want to make Jesus into that really nice guy we'd like to hang out with, and he likes us and we like him, and we sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya, and he's like the age of Aquarius, guys, like the coolest guy ever, and that's kind of how we want Jesus to be, but that's not who Jesus is is. He never gives any indication that that's who he is. Instead, he he came to bring a sword. In other words, he came to, like a blade, to cut between truth and lies, light and darkness. He came to cut out that which is in the world that is uh, not worthy of him. He came to even pierce our own souls to make sure we know right from wrong and truth from lies. So, Does this mean Jesus isn't the love of God embodied? Of course not. That's not what it means. Does this mean Jesus doesn't love everybody? Of course not. That's not what it means. Does this mean that everybody who wants Jesus can't have him like we thought? No, that's not what it means. Anybody who wants Jesus can have him. Of course, he came for God so loved the world, right? But Jesus is not so naive to think that everyone in the world will want him. Because I don't know if you've followed headlines lately, but the world can be a kind of dark and depraved place. And as idealistic as Jesus' vision is for us, he's also very realistic about the presence of evil in the world, y'all. And when you think about the depth of evil in the world and how many powerful people use their power to oppress and abuse vulnerable people and victimize people, it should occur to you that... (laughs) Anyone, any savior that came into a world that's fallen and broken and bloody as this one without a sword in his hand wouldn't be a savior worth following. So Jesus came to bring a, a sword to drive out the darkness, to, to drive out the sin, the evil that, that runs roughshod over this fallen world so often. And, and, and thank God that he does. Jesus is a threat the spiritual forces of evil. Jesus is dangerous to darkness. That's why he divides this world against itself. Martin Luther said, if our gospel was received in peace, it would not be the true gospel. And John reminds us in John chapter 7 that this has been happening since Jesus first walked the earth. He said, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. And so Jesus' purpose in the world was not to bring peace, but his purpose was to make peace. To make peace on our behalf. To make peace between sinners and God. To make peace. How? By the sword. But not the way you might think. Not with Jesus. And Colossians helps us understand this. Paul helps us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. When he wrote, Jesus came to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? Through his blood. Shed on the cross. So that image we have of Jesus as something of a peacenik, hippie, sort of a kumbaya type guy is is not quite the truth. Jesus came to bear a sword, but praise God, there is grace even in his sword-wielding son because the sword is not for us, it was for him all along. And by his blood shed on the cross, our ransom is paid, and we are freed from the self-made prisons of our sin and our death because of Jesus, but he could not accomplish that without a sword in his hand, so to speak. So that's the first way he deals with some of our misguided assumptions. The second gets a little more personal. He deals with assumptions about our families. Assumptions about his purpose is number one. Assumptions about our family is number two. And this is, get ready. Get ready to be offended, all right? Y'all ready? Okay. Verse 35 says, for I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you are like, I thought he said I was going to be offended. I'm totally tracking with him. Like I... <laughs> Daughter-in-laws are like, hey, man, come on, Jesus. <laughs> All right, okay, still, still, not what we would expect from meek and mild Jesus, right? And I think, I think it's because of how we have inflated the role of uh, of the nuclear family in the Christian life today. And there's nothing wrong with loving your family, but somehow over time, the ideal Christian vision in the church today is like two parents showing up with a few. Perfect looking kids. And no matter how bad their week was, like they show up and their shoes are polished and their hair is brushed and their smiles are sincere and they all love each other, and the mama's in a dress and daddy's in slacks and all this, like just American pie kind of stuff. And, and there's there's nothing inherently wrong with it until that becomes the ideal vision. And anyone who's at church who doesn't fit that is made to feel a little bit less somehow. And Jesus is like, look, that's not what I came to do. And the truth is, from the very start, he's been separating families. And the disciples didn't have to believe this on faith. They knew it. They were living it. They were being driven out of the synagogues they were raised in. Their own families were kicking them out of the house for following Jesus around because he was a radical. And that has always been the same ever since. And the more seriously you take Jesus, the more the people in your life who don't take Jesus seriously will wish that you'd just give it up and be who you've always been. Be the person that they could drink around without feeling judged. Be the person that just accepted them just as they are and you never held anyone accountable and never tried to get any better yourself, you know, and just be that old you again. Like the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more out of love the world will fall with you. And sometimes that includes your families. And that's been the case from the beginning, and I hope some of you are receiving this as good news and not just sort of bad news or shocking news because if you're here today without your whole family in tow, I know sometimes just the culture of church makes you feel a sense of uh, guilt or you carry around a burden of shame with you because you feel like you're not doing it right because your whole family's not here looking happy like so-and-so's family is. Let me tell you a secret. No one's family is as happy as they look at church. I promise you, all right? And Jesus would seem to be saying that if you came to church with half your family, you might be doing it exactly right based on the the, the words he just said. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with showing up with your whole family. Please don't mishear me, especially if you're raising little kids and you make them come to church. Praise God for you. Thank you. Make your kids come to church. But when they grow up and become adults, you lose that power, and maybe one day you'll be going to church and your adult children won't and will break your heart because you'll think you dropped the ball. Listen, Jesus said it would be this way. And I hope you take some, some comfort in knowing that Jesus saw this coming. It doesn't mean he's given up on your adult children. It doesn't mean you should either. But it might mean you should stop being heavy-handed about them attending church with you. And instead, you should pray for God to soften their hearts. Because the point is not to get their butts in seats one day. The point is to get their heart Turned over to the Lord one day, with or without, you know, regular church attendance. Now that will come, but the more we lord that over people who are close to us, in many cases, the more we push them away. And when you come to church without a spouse, because you're, maybe your spouse isn't on the same page as you are with. In terms of Jesus, in terms of faith, it's easy to feel like your marriage is a failure in some way or another. That might not be what's happening. What's happening might be God giving you an opportunity to so embody the love of Jesus to your spouse that they see it and discover Jesus for themselves through the love poured into you by Jesus, overflowing from your heart into theirs. That's how he reaches people. That's how he changes people. Right? But... What I want to say sometimes is uh, sometimes it's better for half your family to be at church following Jesus all the way than it is for your whole family to be at church just attending half-heartedly. And so sometimes things aren't what they seem with Jesus. And instead of trying to impose our assumptions onto him, we should hear him for who he is and just kind of receive that grace. It doesn't mean he wants us to love our families any less. It just means he'll show us how to love God even more. And the truth is that loving your family more starts with loving Jesus the most. And I hope you'll take that home with you today more than anything else. Loving your family more means it starts with loving Jesus most. When you put Jesus first in your life, it should go without saying at church, everything else will come naturally. That's the order of things. But put other things first, put other people first, even those in your own household first, and things get out of order very quickly, and suddenly you're just religious. You're not in love with Jesus. And that's not what he came to do. The third assumption um, that Jesus challenges in this deep track teaching, he, he challenges our assumption about his purpose. He challenges our assumptions about our families. And most importantly today, he challenges our assumptions about ourselves. He challenges our assumptions about ourselves. Matthew 10, verse 37 says, Anyone who loves their father or their mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is more of Jesus' deep track stuff that in my secular humanist days, I would have just avoided altogether. I don't like this Jesus as much. Not worthy of me, not worthy of me. Who does this guy think he is, right? (laughs) That's something you only take offense to or you're only weirded out by when you have superimposed onto Jesus your own expectations of Jesus just being a good guy. And a lot of times, I know in in my case, this may not be true for you, but in my case, I wanted Jesus to be just a really good guy because I thought I was just a really good guy. Even though, even though it was a total lie, even though I had all of this corruption in my heart, even though I had all this lust and these battles that I was fighting, even though I was watching pornography, even though I was contemptuous toward my wife, even though I I, I harbored all of this resentment in my heart toward my parents, even though Even though I wasn't very generous with my money, I was stingy, I never gave anything away, I was the kind of guy that struck up a conversation with total strangers in the checkout line because I'm just nice. I'm a good guy. That was the illusion in my head. Was I really good? No. And believing that I was just a good guy was the worst thing I could ever have believed or thought. It was a path to hell and destruction and death. I'm convinced now. Because when I met Jesus for real, and I saw him for all of who he really is, his goodness so far outweighed mine that I could only assume that I wasn't that good after all, that I, in fact, was a sinner lost, that my soul was just in decay, that I was not as good as I thought. But you know what? That's the best thing you could ever realize, because that's where true life begins, is when you die to who you have been so you can live in Christ again. And it begins with that confession, it begins with that repentance. It starts on your knees. Lord, I'm sorry, I see who I've been, I see what I've done, and yet you came, and yet you died. Yet your blood was poured out for me yet you brought a sword to cut out the evil and death from this world from my soul so that I could be saved and yet you decided I was worthy although I was not and all this talk of you're not worthy of me you're not worthy of me you're not worthy of me can only be understood in light of the cross and what Jesus did for you because ironically enough although we were unworthy he he took the cross for each and every one of us isn't it amazing It's a, it's a tension in the Gospels, this balance Jesus strikes between us being worthy and unworthy. Just before this talk of us being unworthy of him, if we do this, that, or the other, he said to the same people he was talking to, just verses before, he said, you are more worthy, you are worth more than many sparrows, he said, which is his way of saying, God knows every hair on your head and loves you. God loves you. Does he love you as you are? Yes. Does he like you as you are? Probably not. But he loves you (laughs) as you are. And he came to lay himself down on the cross so that you would know how loved you are. And it's ironic that only in recognizing how unworthy you were to receive that gift can you understand how worthy you are in light of Christ's sacrifice. Before I knew Jesus, I claimed to know him. I claimed to like him. I claimed to be liked by him. It was almost 10 years ago on the shore of Capernaum in the Holy Land that Jesus forever destroyed that notion. He brought me to my knees. He devastated me. He brought a sword, and it hurt. And in some ways, I was shaken beyond belief but it was only in letting Jesus bring a sword to my dark heart and cut out all the stuff that didn't belong there that I could ever be set free from my own sin and my own bondage to decay. And a lot of us have adopted a notion of Jesus as just a really nice guy. I pray you would be disavowed of that notion today. You would see Jesus, not for who you thought he was or who you wanted him to be, who he said he was. The Prince of Peace who came with a sword. To remove from us and from this world every bit of darkness, every evil, every sin. It might hurt in the short run, but it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. And I pray you'll give your heart and all of you over to him today and trust him, all of him, and follow him, all of him. So pray with me? Jesus, uh, give us courage. <clears throat> we thank you for challenging our assumptions and calling us out. Even though it's uncomfortable, it's it, it, it's not what we expected. Lord, it hurts. It's the best thing that could happen to us. Lord, there's stuff in all of us. There's stuff in our hearts and souls and our homes and in our habits and our schedules and our budgets. There's stuff in our thoughts that needs to go. It needs to be cut out once and for all. Lord, we pray that with your blade you would surgically remove it from us that we would trust you enough to give it over to you. Lord, thank you for bringing a sword to this dark and broken world. Lord, thank you for giving us hope for renewal and new life, even when death and darkness circle all around us. Lord, I pray for the one who's on the fence today, for those who are just trying to figure out if they belong with you, Lord. I pray that you would inspire them by your Holy Spirit to give over their whole life to you right now, that you would give us the courage to follow you, Lord, and to trust you more and more. We thank you for this reminder today, and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.